Scripture this morning is from the end of Hebrews 11 and beginning of chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11, we begin reading with verse 39. Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we are thankful for your holy word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit you would come and speak to us. We pray that we would see Jesus, that we would see him high and lifted up. We pray that your sheep would hear the voice of their good shepherd and hearing his voice that we would know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. And so we ask you now to speak in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Something better. As difficult as it may be for you to believe today, I used to run. And early in 2004, a friend and I, we were living in Boone, North Carolina at the time. We both graduated from... Appalachian State University, we decided to train for a race that July, the bear as it's called. It's only a five mile race, but the race begins in the town of Linville and ends at the mile high swinging bridge on top of Grandfather Mountain. So it's pretty much five miles straight up. We had trained on the hills and mountains around Boone for months, every day but Sunday. I would run between 2 and 15 miles and always tried to plan a course that had a steep incline at some point. When the day came, the race went better than I had expected for the first four miles or so. But that last leg, if you've driven up Grandfather Mountain, you know what it's like. Switchbacks, hairpin turns where the road zigzags at about a 45-degree incline up to the top. And after three or four switchbacks, I was done for. My goal had simply been not to walk. And I was seeing my goal slip away. But just then, at the exact moment I began to give up mentally, some things began to happen. First, a lady that I had never seen before or have not seen since came beside me and yelled, Run! (laughs) 
I looked up. Because, as you know, it's easier when you're running straight up not to look ahead and see how high it is. I looked up, and she said, while running, you've beaten me this whole race. You can't stop now. Well, I kept running. And then we were near the end at the time. Just a few seconds after that, I made it to where the spectators were lined up beside the path, and I heard a couple of my friends who were watching call my name, cheering me on. They gave me another boost to keep going. But just at the end, I had run out of inspiration. I had no strength left, and I thought I'm just going to have to walk the last hundred yards. And then it happened. So help me, I'm not making up what I'm about to tell you. I saw my old friend, Ben, from Sumter. Ben was a spectator waiting in the crowd near the finish line, and he had done exactly what I'd asked him to do. On his way to Grandfather Mountain, he had stopped at Bojangles, Picked up an eight-piece box of fried chicken with four biscuits and a half gallon of sweet tea. And he held that box up and started yelling, Mark, I got the chicken. This happened, so help me. I had told him before that I felt like no matter how bad I felt, if I knew there was fried chicken at the finish line, I could make it. And it worked. I made it to the swinging bridge without walking. And they, they still have the scores or whatever online. I looked it up and I saw that I came in 148 out of 608 runners. It worked. The book of Hebrews, as we have seen this past several months, is really a long string of encouragement and a few warnings to people who are tempted to think they cannot finish the race. They can't keep going. They're tempted to quit, to give up. It's too hard to follow Jesus. There's too much pressure, too much resistance, too much persecution, too much opposition. I'm tired of this. And the author of Hebrews is cheering them on. He's telling them, you've come so far, you can't stop now. And here in this 11th chapter, as we have seen over these weeks, he's piled up one example after another of the saints of the Old Testament who finished the race. Now granted, some of them did not finish very strong. But they all crossed the finish line. And he's telling them, he's telling us, you're not the first one to face opposition. A lot of people have been right where you are, even worse. But they kept going. Now, he's not saying simply draw some inspiration from these heroes and try to be like them. No, this is part of it, but it's not all of it. No, 
when it gets to the end here, he says to keep going. We're to keep going. Because we have something better than they had. Something better. Let's get to it. First in this passage, we see a promise fulfilled. Look at verse 39, 1139. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. These people had faith. They had real faith. Their faith was in the promises of God, yet, though they had faith in the promises of God, they did not receive what he had promised. In other words, Jesus Christ had not yet come into the world. Their hope, their faith was in the Messiah who was coming. They lived by faith. And they died in faith in that Messiah. But he had not come when they died. So he says, God has provided something better for us that without us they should not be made perfect. And you think about those Old Testament believers. They lived under the law of Moses. They had to make animal sacrifices for sin. But the blood of the animal could not save them, could not secure their forgiveness. It could not perfect them from their sin. But every time an Old Testament believer made his sacrifice, his sacrifice was an act of faith. Not that the animal sacrifice would forgive him, but that one day God would provide himself the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. He had faith, but he never saw the fulfillment of that faith. He only saw a shadow of it in the blood of an animal on the altar. We see the fulfillment of their faith. You know, we tend to be nostalgic for the good old days, the glory days. These were Jews who had accepted Jesus, that he was the Messiah. And for various reasons, they were thinking of giving up for family pressure, societal, cultural pressure. They were thinking seriously about going back to Judaism, the old way they were used to and comfortable with and got along with everyone and weren't persecuted. They wanted to go back to the good old days. And the author is telling them, don't you understand? These are the good old days. The Old Testament Hebrews would give anything to be in these days. We have it so much better now. You understand, they were saved the same way 
we were, the death and resurrection of Jesus was just as effective into the past, thousands of years before he came as it is effective now, 2,000 years after he came. Nice little boy. Pearl would pick me up from school. At the first of every month, we would stop at the bank on the way home so she could make the house payment. That's how it worked back then. You went to the bank and paid for your house. Then it stopped. When I was in the first or second grade, they'd been in that house maybe eight or nine years. It was paid off. We didn't move. Stayed in the house we'd been in. As a small child, I did not appreciate how much better it is to live in the same house once it's paid. We live after the price was paid. The blood that could really perfect us has been shed. They looked forward to it. They were saved by it in advance. But we have the fulfillment. You see a promise fulfilled. Secondly, in this passage, you see a cloud of witnesses. Chapter 12, look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. Now here's the image of the race. All those believers, he, lifted, he listed off in chapter 11, those who had gone before in the Old Testament, those who lived by faith and died in faith, those who kept the faith and finished the race. Here they are, a great cloud of witnesses. They are cheering us to keep going. They are gathered at the finish line. They are waiting for us to join them. You know, the final perfecting of all the saints, the resurrection, the new heaven and the new earth, the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God. None of this will come until the last saint is gathered in. And so he says... Throw off the weight that slows you down. He says, lay aside the weight and the sin. So there are things that are not necessarily sinful that can still weigh us down in our Christian life and race. You know, a good thing that gets out of proportion in your life. Lay it aside. 
And he says, lay aside the sin. Look, the author of Hebrews didn't just fall off turnip truck as if he thinks he can just tell us, quit sinning and everything will be fine. No, you see he says, run with endurance. Run with perseverance. He knows it's going to be a struggle to shed the weight and the sin. He knows it will be a fight to the finish. But he says, keep fighting to the finish. He says, you have, as it were, a fan club. Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Samuel, David, the prophets... They are pulling for you to finish. So the end will come. Their spirits are glorified, but their bodies will not be raised until we join them. So they are saying, press on. You see, a promise fulfilled, a cloud of witnesses, and thirdly and finally, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He tells us we have this great cloud of witnesses cheering us to run the race, but he does not tell us to look at the cloud of witnesses that is cheering for us. Remember, it must have been at least 30 years, maybe longer, since I've seen it. But I remember as a child seeing, and some of you know what I'm thinking of. You're the greatest, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown, you remember, was running a race on the track, and, and he got ahead. They're all saying, I can't believe it, Charlie Brown's going to win. <laughs> In decathlon, and you remember... As he pulled ahead from the pack, he, he got to daydreaming about winning and being crowned and cheered. And he got his eyes off the finish line, and in his daydreaming, he ran clean out of the stadium and lost the race, as only Charlie Brown could. The finish line, the prize... Is not even the cheers of the saints. The prize is nothing less than the throne of God. And sitting on that throne is Jesus. You know, Jesus says the Old Testament, Moses, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, like all these people we've read about in Hebrews 11, he says they all bear witness to him that he was to suffer and die and rise again the third day. This great cloud of witnesses is calling out to us 
to keep our eyes on Jesus alone, the one to whom they testify. And so we look to Jesus, who here is in this Bible called the, profound, the, the, the founder. I learned him to be the author and perfecter, or as we learned it, finisher of our faith. In Hebrews 2.10 said that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our salvation. That's the same word that's found here as the author or the founder of our faith. He is the one who went ahead of us, who paved the way for us. And here in Hebrews 12, 2, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He persevered, he endured through suffering all the way to the cross, all the way through the cross. Why? In order to pave our way to the throne of God. And having endured the cross, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Do you remember the other place Hebrews says Jesus sat down on the right hand of God? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. He, Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's how He paved our way to heaven. He purged our sins with his own blood. And then he sat down on the throne. He sat down because the work is done. And so he is both the author of our faith who paved our way to the finish. And he is the finisher. Who brings us there and perfects us from our sin? Why? It says, for the joy that was set before him. The joy of bringing all his people with him to the throne. He persevered through the cross. And so the author says, the saints are cheering for you. Jesus died for you, but he's not in the grave. He's on the throne of God. An old preacher said, Jesus Christ lifted the dust of the earth to the throne of the universe. So hear the cheers of the saints. Look to Jesus Christ alone and keep 
going. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.